Yes, Colossians 2, 6 through 10. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be here this morning. It's always an honor to be able to uh, preach God's word uh, to God's people, and and so it is a a joy for me to be able to to be here this morning. Uh, I got a text this morning from Dave, I think it was about 5.30 in the morning, I think he wanted to make sure I was up so I didn't oversleep or something, but he sent me some pictures too of their retreat, it looks like they're having a great time out there, and, and so I, I know we'll keep praying for them too, just for their safety as they come back. Um, if you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Randy Spar. I've been a, a United Methodist pastor for over 30 years, uh, the years go by quickly. Um, but uh, I've known Dave and Mary for a long time. Uh, Dave was actually the youth worker at my home church in Millbank uh, when I was just graduating from college, and I did it, we did a work trip together. Uh, I was one of the counselors uh, on that work trip. We went down to Kentucky for that, and, and so that's kind of when we first got to know each other, and, and then our first churches in South Dakota were only about 30 miles apart, so we I did a lot of things together, uh, preached at each other's churches and and did things like that. So it's always been a joy uh, just to to be around Dave and Mary and and just to be a a part of this church too. Um, Yeah, I grew up in, like I said, Milbank, South Dakota, and I had uh, three older brothers. I was the youngest in the family. You know, I always said that my parents uh, kept trying until they got it right, and I was the last one, so... Uh, my brothers didn't quite agree with that, but then I ended up having three daughters. And so, you know, I tried going from three brothers to three daughters, and I'm going to mention a little bit about them uh, later in the service. But as was mentioned, I, I've been a hospice chaplain for Hospice of the Red River now for, it'll be almost 13 years. Uh, it's hard to believe that, too, that it's been that long. And I, I really feel that, you know, God has called me to this ministry uh, right now. I, I love being in the church uh, I love preaching, and I still get to preach a lot at different places, and, and so I enjoy doing that. But one of the things that I notice as a chaplain, and, and we work with people, especially in about the last six months of their lives, and this is when people have found out that they probably only have about six months to live. And one of the things I hear a lot as a chaplain, people say things like, I hope I've lived a good enough life. And I hear that from people that are strong Christians, and I hear that from people that that don't know Christ at all. But they come up with that same theme, I hope I lived a good enough life. When I was in seminary, I learned about a a term that I'd never heard before, and it it wasn't from one of my professors, it was from the pastor I went to in that little town of Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, where Asbury Seminary is. It was uh, Dr. David Siemens, and I remember him preaching about something called perfectionism. And I don't know if you've ever heard that term or not, but it's a, a very important thing, I think, for us as Christians to know about. 
You know, perfectionism is often when we feel guilty, even when we're relaxing. You know, when we know, you know, we know we've got a lot to do and we just have to keep doing things. You know, it's using phrases like, I have to, or I ought to, or I should be able to. You know, it's being frustrated uh, or angry with God, you know, feeling that God's expectations are unreasonable for us. The perfectionism is when we try to prove our worth by being perfect. It's actually a, a counterfeit of spiritual maturity. And I think it's probably one of the top hangups of even dedicated Christians. I grew up in a Christian home and, and we never missed church. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know there was TV shows on on Sunday morning because we never saw those. Uh, you know, we were always there. But it wasn't until I was a freshman in high school that I under, started to understand what grace is all about and started hearing about that and it started to make sense to me. You know, grace is when we take our sin and we give it to God and God gives us forgiveness and God gives us power to live our daily lives. You know, that is a, a great deal. And the neat thing about it, it's free. You know, we don't earn our way into heaven. You know, we don't work our way into heaven. It's a free gift. But I think as Christians, eventually we start to think to ourselves, you know, this is almost too good to be true. You know, maybe I should help God out a little bit. You know, God must be expecting something from me to gain his approval in my life. I think we tend to fall into two traps, and these are two of the biggest enemies of God's grace. One of them is legalism, and as soon as you think of legalism, you probably think of the Pharisees in Jesus' time, and legalism is trying to earn God's approval through rules. Now, the other is perfectionism, and that's trying to prove my worth by being perfect, There's an entire book of the Bible written about these two enemies of grace. It's the book of Galatians. And Galatians tells us that when we try to earn God's approval, we get into trouble. Listen to what Galatians 3.3 says. It says, You began your life in Christ by the Spirit. Now you're trying to make it complete by your own power. This is foolish. I really like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Listen to this. It says, How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? This morning, I want to talk about God's freeing grace and how we break out of this performance trap, out of this prison of perfectionism. If we understand how to relax in God's grace, I think that we're going to find a joy and a freedom in our lives that we've probably never experienced before. This morning, I was reading from my devotions in Psalm 68.3, and this verse just kind of stuck out to me. It says, But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. And I think that's how God wants us to live our lives. He wants us to be happy and joyful people. And I believe that if we can relax in God's grace, we're going to find that. And so how do we do that? Well, I want to share five quick things with you this morning about relaxing in God's grace. And the first one is to realize that nobody's perfect. Now, how many of you this morning are sitting by a perfect person? Any hands? 
<laughs> Don't see too many hands. Now, before you laugh too much, notice nobody sitting by you raised their hand either. So uh, you can't say too much about that. But we real, need to realize that none of us are perfect. And you, th- you might think, well, this is pretty obvious, but it's also very important. You know, Psalm 18 is one of David's songs to God. And in verse 30, it says, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. You see, that's why we need to build our lives on God's word, because nothing else is perfect. You know, what society tells us isn't perfect. What, what's popular opinion isn't perfect. You know, what you learn growing up isn't perfect. But God's word is perfect. You know, we build our lives on this foundation because it is a sturdy foundation. It will never fail you. You see, if we spend all of our time trying to achieve perfection by our own efforts, we're wasting our time. You know, we don't have the time or the money to be perfect in everything. And it's actually impossible for us. You know, Ecclesiastes 7 says, there is no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. I remember when I was in college, I, I can't remember if I was in sociology or a psychology class, but I remember reading a book at that time, it was called, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Did any of you ever read that? Does it sound familiar? But when you think about that, it's really not true. I'm not okay, and I'm pretty sure you're probably not okay either. You know, we can think we are, but that's not going to help. You know, there are areas in my life that are definitely not okay, and it's true for you too. You know, that's why all the affirmations in the world are not going to make us okay. We are imperfect people. If someone put it this way, I'm not okay and you're not okay, but because of God's grace, that's okay. You see, all of us are imperfect, and there are a lot of things in our lives that are not okay. But when we accept God's grace into our lives, God says, that's okay. You don't have to be perfect. Now, you might wonder, well, does that mean then that uh, God isn't interested in our spiritual growth? No, that's not what it's saying. You know, God wants us to grow. Now, does it mean we don't have to repent? No, we still need to repent because sin hurts our relationships and it hurts us. You know, does it mean God doesn't want us to change and work on areas in our lives? No, you know, God wants us to change and become more like Christ every single day. You see, when God says, you're okay because of my grace, It doesn't mean that we can just stay the same the rest of our lives. But what it does mean is that God isn't waiting for us to change to love us. God loves us even with our imperfections. And that leads to the second point, and that is that we need to enjoy God's unconditional love. You know, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You see, when we become Christians, we don't just become servants of God. We become children of God. A lot of people think, well, I, I give my life to Christ and the rest of my life, I'm going to serve Christ. And that is true. 
you know, that we should serve the Lord, but we're more than just servants. The Bible tells us that we become children of the King of Kings. We become part of God's royal family. And you see, there's a big difference between a servant and a child. You know, a servant is accepted and appreciated based on what they do. A child is accepted and appreciated based on who they are. You know, a servant is accepted because of their productivity, it's because of their performance. But a child is accepted because of their position in that family. It's about relationship. You see, when a servant fails, his whole position is at stake. You know, he could even lose his job. But when a child fails, you know, they may be sad because they hurt their parents and they're probably going to be corrected or disciplined, but they're not afraid of being thrown out of the family. A child's place in a family and in being loved isn't based on their performance, but it's on the stability of their position as a child. You see, God wants us to enjoy the unconditional love of God, you know, as we're part of God's family. Now, how many of you parents here this morning have perfect children? Any, fam- any families have perfect children? You know, now, let me ask you another question. Do you still love them? Of course you do. You love them in spite of their imperfections. You know, when your two- or three-year-old brings you a picture, and it's just a bunch of scribbles on a piece of paper, you look at them and you say, and they say to you, this is a picture of you, Mommy, or this is a picture of you, Daddy. And you look at that and you say, you know, that is a great picture. And the picture may not be Picasso to anyone else, but it is to you because you're looking at it from the eyes of love. Now, what did your child do to earn your love? Have you ever thought about that? You know, when you think about it, the first five years of their lives, they do a lot of crying and pooping and, and they get sick and they get fussy. Yeah, I'll never forget uh, when my kids were re- very young, my oldest daughter was probably like five or six years old. And uh, one night, we just moved to Parker, South Dakota, and, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I hear my daughter calling out, my oldest daughter. And so, I don't know if my wife didn't hear or what, but I, one of those things, she gives me the nudge to go. And so I, I walk into the room. Now, you have to picture this. Here is, um, you know, I, I turn the light on, and just as I turn the light on, I see my daughter stand, kneeling up on her top bunk, facing out towards the room, and as just as I turn on the light, this stream comes out of her mouth. It looked just like a fountain. I, you know, I have to, to say that. And I just stood there, kind of didn't know what to do. You know, I just uh, looked at her. And then she says to me, Dad, I think I'm sick. <laughs> now, what do you suppose I said to my daughter at that moment? Did I say to her, when you clean up this mess and get yourself cleaned up, then I'm going to come and give you a hug. You suppose that's what I said? No, instead, Diane and I spent the next hour cleaning her and the carpet. You see, being a dad is bigger than the mess she made because of the love of a father. You see, we don't have to wait. You know, we don't wait to love our children until they mature. You know, we love our children at every stage of their growth. 
But yet sometimes we think, you know, God is waiting for me to grow up or become this super saint before God's ever going to smile at me, you know, before God's ever going to give up the thumb, give the thumbs up sign and say, you know, you're okay, I love you. You know, God loves us at every stage of our growth because God's love is unconditional. Now let me, I would encourage you to write this down. The price that God paid is bigger than any mess that we can ever make. You hear that? The price God paid for you is bigger than any mess we can ever make. You know, one of the verses I use a lot as a hospice chaplain is Romans 8.39. And it tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know how much comfort that gives to people you know, when they can realize that nothing can separate them from that love of God. You see, we don't have to be perfect for God to love us. You know, God knows everything about us. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, and God still loves us. You know, Romans 8.31, in that same chapter, it says, if God is for us, who could be against us? And notice that God is not just with us. It says that God is for us. And that really is at the heart of the doctrine of grace. You know, those four words pretty much sum up what grace is all about. God is for us. You see, God isn't sitting up in heaven and looking down and say, you know, what can I punish them for next? You know, when we receive God's grace, we become part of God's family. And God is for us. You know, we don't have to earn God's love every day, and we never could. Now, the third thing that we need to do to relax in grace is to let God handle things. Now, that's pretty important, because at the root of perfectionism is the desire to control. You know, we think if we can just control things, then everything is going to be perfect in our lives. You know, if I can just, you know, if we can control our spouses, you know, then we'll have a perfect marriage. If we can control our kids, you know, they'll never get in trouble and they'll always be safe. You know, if we can, you know, just control our careers, our path will be secure. You know, if we can just control the people around us, the world will be a lot better place. But the problem is that most of life is out of our control. You know, we can't control everything. You know, that's an attempt to play God. And God can do a lot better job than any of us ever could. And so what do we do when we can't control the uncontrollable things in our lives? I believe 1 Peter 5, 7 gives us the answer. It says, cast all your anxieties on God, on him, because he cares for you. Now, if you've ever been a fisherman, you understand what it means to cast. I remember when I was a kid, we had those old fishing rods and, and you had to put your hand on the line and what, just as you brought it back and let go, you took your thumb off the line. And that's what you have to do to fish. You have to take your finger off the line and you have to let it go. You know, that's what it means to cast. You know, the essence of casting is letting go and to overcome perfectionism, we have to let go and we have to allow God to handle the things in our lives. And so you might wonder, well, how do we let go? You know, how do we let go of that line? 
you know, how do we cast all of our cares on the Lord? Well, it says we do it through praying. You know, we need to practice prayer. And it's more than just, you know, saying these fancy prayers. Basically, it's just talking to God. You know, it's a relationship, getting to know God in our daily lives. You know, we have to spend time talking to God to learn to trust that God can handle our worries and our anxieties. You see, life is messy, but it makes a big difference when we put God in control instead of ourselves. You know, God can even bring good out of the messes in our lives. And that's why it's so important for us to to trust God. You see, things don't have to be perfect for me to be happy. You know, things don't have to be perfect for me to enjoy them. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect vacation. You know, if you're waiting for one, you're probably never going to actually enjoy the vacation you're on. You know, it's funny, when we get together as our family, my three daughters, you know, we start talking about vacations that we've been on. The one that they always bring up, I've noticed this, is a vacation we had out west. And uh, I remember it was a terrible vacation, I thought, because we, we drove through Nevada and it was about 115 degrees and our car overheated. You know, we, we got to the Four Corners about 10 o'clock at night and we went out of our, I, my wife didn't want to do this, but I said, I wanted to take a picture at the Four Corners because I'd never been there. And so here we are standing out there in the dark and I take a flash picture of my daughters standing on the Four Corners. And then because we did that, we didn't have a hotel room reserved that night. We ended up driving to like four different towns looking for a hotel, and we never did find one. And we finally ended up sleeping in our van uh, in a hotel parking lot. And some guy in the morning knocks on our window and about drove my wife crazy. Uh, she woke up and didn't know what was going on. But that's the vacation my kids keep talking about is one of their favorite vacations. And it amazes me. You see, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Did you know that I married a sinner and she married an even bigger one? You know, there's no perfect marriage because it's made up of imperfect people. You know, there's no perfect kids. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect body. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect church. You know, there's no perfect job. You know, the Bible says that nothing is perfect except God's word. You know, if you're waiting for that perfect environment to enjoy life, it's not going to happen. You have to learn to enjoy life under less than perfect circumstances. You know, we need to learn to enjoy each moment in spite of the imperfections of life. You know, Paul said it like this. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am. I've learned to be content no matter what state I'm in. And the old joke is that they've never been to North Dakota then, but uh, whatever state I'm in. But notice he says he learned how to be content. You see, it's not human nature to be content. It's something we have to learn. We live in a society that's filled with consumerism. And there's an entire ad agency designed to create discontentment in our lives. So we'll buy their product. We see things on TV and... You know, we think to ourselves, you know, how in the world did I ever live without that? You know, my life is incomplete until I get that product or that service or, or have that experience or, or look like that model. You know, we have to learn to be content and allow God to be in control. 
Then the fourth thing that we do to relax in grace is we act in faith, not in fear. Remember how you got into the family of God? Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the only way that we can be saved is by grace. There's no other way to get into heaven except by grace. We're never going to be good enough. We'll never be perfect enough. And we'll never earn enough to buy our way in. It's a free gift from God. It's by grace through faith. And the way we got into the Christian life is the same way that we continue to live the Christian life, by grace through faith. Now, Colossians 2.6 reminds us, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. You see, we're not saved by, or we're, we're not saved uh, by grace and all of a sudden we have to live the Christian life by works. You know, we're saved by grace through faith. And it's important to understand that literally everything in our lives is a gift from God. You know, God gives us a Valentine's gift every single day of our lives. You know, we wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for the grace of God. You know, the air that we breathe is a gift of God. The minds we have are a gift of God. You know, the ability to hear and see is a gift of God's grace. You know, we didn't earn those things. You know, everything that God does in our lives, he does for one reason, grace. God forgives us by grace. God guides us by grace. God uses our lives by grace. He gives us gifts and talents because of grace. You know, God blesses our lives by faith. You know, everything in our lives, we owe it to God. You know, it's by grace. It's not because we deserve it. You know, it's one thing to understand this truth, but it doesn't guarantee that we're going to live by that. You know, if we were a perfectionist before we became a Christian, then we're going to have the tendency to put all those perfectionist tendencies on God and treat God kind of like an unpleasable parent. But we don't have to live in that prison of perfectionism. You know, God says that we can be pardoned. We can be set free because grace is available. The only way we'll be able to walk out of that prison door is to have faith, not fear. We have to trust in God's grace. One of the symptoms of perfectionism is constant tiredness. And this comes from trying to control everything. It's tiring trying to be the general manager of your universe. You're holding all the strings together and you're trying to keep all the balls up in the air all the time. But one day we realize it's not up to me. You know, I can relax. I can let go. I don't have to try to make things perfect in order to prove my worth. You know, we can either live in that prison of perfectionism or we can take step five and we can find freedom. And step five is that we exchange our perfectionism for God's peace. You see, perfectionism it actually destroys peace. And we're going to live with one or the other. You're either going to have perfectionism or you're going to have peace in your life. And here's the offer that Jesus makes and is still valid today to each one of us. It's an offer that we really can't refuse. It's in Matthew 11. And I want to use the message translation. I just love the way it says it in, this, uh, in his 
translation. And this is a, a big deal. It says, Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me. And that's prayer, getting away with God. And you'll recover your life. And I will show you how to take a real rest. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that a beautiful verse? You see, God is perfect. And because God is perfect, God expects his children to be perfect. You might wonder, well, what does that mean? You see, Jesus even said it. He said, be perfect even as I am perfect. But he also knows there's no chance that we're going to be perfect in our life. God knows that's impossible. And so God came up with something called grace. That's why God sent Jesus. And that's what we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes here. You know, God sent Jesus because Jesus was perfect. And we get in on Jesus' perfection. We can either try all we want and bang our heads on the wall, or we can accept the perfection of Jesus Christ, and we can say, let me in on his ticket. You know, several years ago, there was a pastor down in Fairmont. We were uh, in the church in Wapaton, and, and uh, Pastor Bob Semrod, some of you might know who he is, uh, he is also a chaplain in the Air Force. And he was getting some award down in Omaha, and he asked Diane and I to come along with him and his wife, and, and so we got to go as their guests. And one of the things that we got to do that I don't think many people ever got to do was they gave us this tour of the command center at Offutt, Offutt Air Force Base. And we had to go way down underground. I mean, this elevator went down forever, it seemed like. And we went into this command center, and this is where President Bush went during 9-11. And Diane actually got to sit in the president's chair. I had to sit in the vice president's. I'm not sure what that means either, but, um, but it was an amazing experience to be down there. And I, as I was down there, I was thinking to myself, I would have never gotten to go here unless Bob invited me. I got in on his ticket. And that's the way it works with grace. You know, we're never going to get into heaven on our own, but Jesus offers us grace. We can come in with him. You see, as we read the Bible, we read about God's standard of perfection. You know, we read all those things, we know that there's no way we can measure up to all those things. One of the reasons God gave us the law was to show us that we could never do it on our own. You know, there's no way that we can keep all those rules and all those principles. You know, there's no way that we could be the kind of person that God says a perfect person has to be. But God says we don't have to worry because God has taken care of that. By grace, Christ is the perfection for us. You know, that's the invitation that Christ offers to each of us this morning. You see, Christian living, just like salvation, is based on grace. It's not on guilt. You know, we're all going to fail in our lives. You know, we're all going to blow some responsibilities we've been given. You know, we're going to fail to live up ex- expectations to, of others and in our own expectations. You know, we're never going to f- measure up to God's standard of perfection. You know, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short. But we can have God's peace in our lives even when we fail because of God's grace. In fact, 
did you realize that there's really only one failure you really need to worry about? And it's the failure that's written in Hebrews 12, verse 15. And look at that verse with me in your outline. It says, be careful that no one fails to receive God's grace. You see, it is by grace that we're saved. And it's by grace that we're called to live our daily lives. You know, God wants us to be able to relax in his grace. Let's pray. God, we're so thank you, thankful for uh, the wonderful grace that you've given to us. God, thank you that it is by grace that we're saved, but thank you, Lord, that you also call us to live our daily lives by grace. God, we know that we're never gonna be good enough uh, to, to be perfect. We're, Lord, we're never gonna achieve that. But thank you, Lord, that you sent your son uh, to come and give his life for us. And thank you that we have that wonderful gift. And so, Lord, I, I pray if there's anyone here that's never received that gift of salvation, that they would do that this morning. Lord, what a wonderful gift you offer. And God, I, I thank you too that as, as your people, that we would learn to live by grace every day, that we would follow these steps and, and that we would learn to relax in your grace. And so, Lord, just be with us now as we uh, prepare to celebrate communion together. Thank you, Lord, that you gave your body and your blood for us. And Lord, you offer that to us now. And we pray this in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. And I want to close with a, probably my favorite benediction, but it kind of contains all those things. It says, And now by the grace, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.